Christmas is meeting family, celebrating, and having a wonderful season. Christmas means family and love from Jesus. Christmas is rejoicing in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christmas is love. Christmas is singing Christmas songs. Christmas is Jesus. Good answers. Well, welcome to Crossroads Church. My name is Katie. It's so good to see everyone here in the Loveland Auditorium. If your ugly sweater is singing a song, could you please silence it during the message? Ah. Fun times. Uh, also, if you're joining us in Fort Collins, it's always good to be with you and our online community. We appreciate you. We're in this series that's called Christmas Is, and we've been celebrating and learning about the greatest gifts of Christmas and how God causes these gifts to be received in our lives. These are free gifts and the very best that life has to offer. And then God's plan is that they would overflow from us. And that is how compassion and peace and hope and love are born into the world. And this weekend, I'm talking about the great gift of Christmas hope. And I want to start with a story. It was one morning in early December years ago, and I was tired. And things were piling up. Because in those days, I was a foolish participant in something called December madness. You know what it is. It's when we cram 80% of all the parting going we will have in the year into three short weeks. And if we're truly mad, we try to go to several parties in one night and we don't enjoy any of them. And we also redecorate our house inside and out in the same three short weeks. And because we have so much time in December, we choose that time to buy something for everyone that we love. And we wrap these things in a time-consuming and very generous way, and we get them in the mail by December 15th, and then we're just getting started. While we're at it, we bake every cookie we've ever heard of. And speaking of food, we consume calories. We consume three months' worth of calories during these same three weeks. We're not done yet. We make a list of everyone we've ever known, and we send them a handwritten letter during this time. And to top it all off, some madman has set a policy that the children will be out of school for two of these three weeks. And a mad person decides to release all the great movies for the year during this time, and we take the kids to them. December Madness. And one morning I was in the middle of it. And I was also to travel to Chicago to a work meeting while also preparing for finals. I was in graduate school. And I was driving to Denver to spend the night with my mother-in-law, Annie, because she was to take me to DIA at 7 o'clock in the morning for the trip to Chicago. And during this drive, I questioned the running, and the busyness of my life, and I saw no worth in it, and I questioned even my value to anyone around me. I didn't sleep well that night. I woke up uh, late. I was embarrassed in front of my mother-in-law because while I was late, she was already at the door with her coat on, waiting to take me to the airport. Then I heard her voice, come down here, Katie, and I thought, oh, great, one more person who is waiting for me to do something. 
Then she says, come and see this. So her voice sounded happy, and I thought, I'll go see what she's up to. She was standing at the front window, and out to the east was the most magnificent sunrise I think I've ever seen. Really, it wasn't the sunrise. It was the dawn. It was those dark, crazy colors that just start glowing and getting more intense as the dawn rises. And we stood there and looked at that color of the sky and the sparkling blanket of December snow out over the country fields. And it was breathtaking. And it was as though God was gently and kindly and cheerfully waking up the world. We stood there. The colors faded fast like they always do. And then she turns to me and says, Katie, isn't it amazing what God can do? And then we drove east to DIA, and something new was inside me. And I named it hope and happiness. Tiredness replaced with joy. My questioning of everything from the calendar to my capacities was stilled with this reassurance that God is good. And my heart was happy with thoughts that God not only created this sunrise, but God also placed me in a family with someone who cares about me, who gave me a warm bed with clean sheets, who fixed me breakfast, who forced a $100 bill on me at the DIA drop-off spot. And mostly I had in my mind that she was God's voice for me that morning, saying, Katie, isn't it something what God can do? And since that morning, I've thought many times about the experience how the dawn has a long history as a sign of hope on the spiritual journey. In the Old Testament, the prophets talked about Jesus' coming as a new light that will be the dawn. And the Psalms illustrate the point by talking about a, a night watchman on the wall of a besieged city and how that person waits for the light and that God's coming into our lives, God coming to us when we're waiting in darkness is like the relief that that person feels when the morning has come again and the city is not under attack. And then there's the poetry in the book of Lamentations that says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. They are new. They're new every morning. Because good things keep happening and happening and happening because nothing can stop God from keeping God's promises. That's the principle of hope. And it's why we celebrate hope. It's why we learn how to hope as we prepare for Christmas. And all people need this hope because we all live with a sense of waiting in the darkness. It's what each of us feels when we face discouragement we find ourselves calling out to God or to some other person or ourselves saying, is there any hope here? Give me a reason to believe. Help me trust again in the goodness of life. Help me find that courage and my energy for life again. Show me the value of my life. And it's very difficult to have that hope and to offer hope when our world is as it is. The world is at war. We have true, serious pain in our lives. There are conflicts and struggles that are very uncomfortable emotionally in our lives. And some of us even walk in deep darkness. Deep darkness is like what you feel in grief. 
true grief when you've lost someone that you love and it just doesn't go away and doesn't go away. But we have been created to overcome this difficulty in life and to learn how to be hopeful, to live hopefully, to teach hope instead of despair. And that is as simple as what Annie did for me on that morning when she announced that sunrise and reminded me of God's promise. And it comes to us as well in the words of the New Testament characters, especially those Christmas characters. They're announcing hope, and that's why we cherish these words so much. Like the words of Mary, the mighty one has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation over and over. Or Zechariah, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like to have hope. That's what it is to teach hope. So I want to talk for just a moment about what is hope. What are we talking about here? And if you're taking notes, they're in your program. You could write something down, or they're also on an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, and uh, search under events, and you'll find Crossroads Church. We post our notes there now. But here's hope. Here's what hope is. It's not wishful thinking. It is not wishful thinking. It is to dream, yes, but it's also to watch. To watch for something so carefully we truly believe it will happen even though it's unlikely. So to hope is to dream and watch carefully. Let me say that one more way. To hope is to have a strong, clear, positive realistic vision of the future. And then finally, to hope is to know the God of hope, the God who makes these promises. So to hope is to know God, this God who's already taken you out of the darkness and placed you in the light. So hope is not pie in the sky. And here's the hard thing to hear. Hope will not eliminate the darkness. That is not the function of hope. Hope is more like, a, like, a, like an honest friend who's a great spiritual guide who asks tough questions like, do you love Jesus enough that you can trust he's always with you no matter where life takes you? Or when life takes you into a dark cloud, do you trust enough to keep walking and watching for signs of life and waiting for the tide to turn? Sometimes not so much, I would say, in answer to those questions that hope asks. Sometimes not so much. And that's okay if that's you. There is hope because this trust is a gradual growing thing. We give ourselves over to God and then we pull back. We need to be very aware of where we are in the hope and not so much hope cycle of life and work to keep hope alive and create a life of trust with God. Doesn't just happen. It has to be nurtured in your heart. So how do we nurture hope? I've learned these things from living alongside hopeful people. I've watched how people live hopefully, and I've learned them from walking with God. I want to share four with you today. The first way we nurture hope is to have moments of wonder. Moments of wonder. Rekindle our hope in the goodness of God. For me, it's something as ordinary as the, the smile wrinkles on a mature face that remind me 
of the essence of God in every human person. Or it's the morning star in the western sky, cradled there right next to the moon, placed just perfectly, kindles hope in my heart. I carry it as a sign of God's glory for hours. And I figure if God can keep all this natural beauty and balance, and if I have the ability to reason and to realize that God is, then this God is surely good and surely powerful, and I can count on God's love and power to be born in my little life over and over again. I look up in the trees in December, and I look for signs of hope. What do you see when you look into the December trees? Birds, twigs, nests. You can see the birds' nests when the leaves are all gone. Birds' nests are everywhere. A nest is a home that's prepared out of everyday things like twigs and grass and pebbles and mud and bird spit and feathers, ordinary little things. Hummingbirds make their nests with uh, spider webs and moss, light things. And thrushes make a clay foundation and they line the interior with a mix of decayed wood and cow dung. Creative little guys. Whatever the kind of nest, wherever they are, they are a dwelling place to receive the gift of life. So every Advent for years now, I take morning walks, I look for the nest, and I reflect on the nest as a symbol that points us to the birth of Jesus, that the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And I think of how Mother Mary said yes to God. And I think of how she said, God, let it be done to me according to your will. And she was like a nest who received Jesus into her life and raised him up. And I think of every human heart as a warm place to foster and swaddle and cherish God's love. And I think of winter as a symbol of quiet and darkness and waiting and hope for life to emerge. I think of December as a time not to perform and shop and drop dead, but it's a time to nest. It's a time to prepare my heart. It's a time to prepare my home. It's a time for me to prepare our church home to receive the brilliant gift of God's love in the celebration of Christmas, and especially in the lives, in the human lives that will pour into the church to celebrate that love and be encouraged, or will pour into our homes to be together and feel hope. And I remember that even on the shortest day of the year, there is still plenty of light. December 21st, shortest day of the year. I took a photo on a morning walk in 2013. Shortly after the sunrise, on that day, the sun rose at 720. The sun would set at 437. And so short days, long nights, we can think, well, it can be taken one of two ways either as a depressing time of year or as a sign of wonder that there's always enough light. We need these moments of wonder. We also need touches of truth. We need truth big time in order to have hope. And truth touches are those inner stirrings that I know are God speaking to me and they remind me that life is worth living. God's promises are true. It will happen again. 
Hope leaps off the pages of scripture to me from passages like Colossians 1, 12 through 20. The Father has taken us out of the power of darkness and created a place for us in the kingdom of his Son whom he loves. This kind of truth encounter helps me believe in reality, capital R reality, that is beyond the difficult moments of my day to day. And it is not easy for me to live this way. It's not easy for any of us because we have this big thing called problems. We have problems to manage. How many of you have at least one problem or you know where you could find one? How many are sitting someone to, next to someone who looks like they have a problem? How many are sitting next to your problem? How many are the problem? We know that's the truth. It's not easy. We have problems. We have personal problems like low-paying jobs, bad bosses, and toxic coworkers. We have parenting problems. We have children and teens whose parents obviously are the problem. We have addiction problems and health problems. We have personality problems like procrastination. We have marriage problems, relationship problems, no shortage of personal problems. And then we have social problems. There's national debt. There's racism and injustice, political oppression, and real live dictators. There are wars, there's gender discrimination, homophobia, world hunger. Hunger here in Larimer County, big problem. One in three children is food insecure in Larimer County. And we have a housing problem. We don't have enough affordable housing for the people who live in our area. And then we have violence problems like the killing in our streets, all the way to the seats of our schools and synagogues and churches. And then sometimes these social problems come to bear on the personal life of someone else. Like when it's your child who is being bullied. And these problems are what the Bible means by darkness. And it has always been a part of life on earth. And our calling is to bring hope and work to eliminate the darkness. We can wish it would go away we can wait for Jesus to return. We can hold some kind of a twisted hope that God would take some people to eternity and get rid of the planet. We can blame and resent the government. Or we can be spiritually wise and live powerfully and hopefully now. But we need truth in order to do this every day. And I find my truth touches in Scripture and in the voices and the written words of other people. Here's a truth touch I read in my Advent devotional just this week. It's from Father Richard Rohr. We must wait and work with hope inside of the darkness while never doubting the light that God always is and that we are too. That is the narrow birth canal of God into the world through the darkness and into an ever greater light. Would you like me to leave that up for a moment? It's also printed at the top of your message notes. That's the truth. We wait and hope inside of the darkness, and that is the way of God into the world. It's a truth touch. I get them from reading, listening to podcasts. I get most of my truth touches from the sermons here at Crossroads. Crossroads. 
I really do. It's the easiest way to get a truth touch. It's free. It shouldn't be. So make a generous year-end gift to Crossroads Colorado slash give. But this has been going on for 5,000 years, free teaching once every seven days through the whole Jewish tradition and now the whole Christian tradition. That's what we do. I had a professor in seminary who said, by Monday at noon, we've forgotten who we are. He meant that we come to church on the weekend, we get the truth touch, and by Monday at noon, it's leaking away, and we're beginning to doubt God and doubt ourselves. Well, there's an antidote to that. My husband, Dave, takes the sermon notes home, and then every day of the week, he reflects on the different scriptures and points of that talk. Every day of the week. He's sitting at the dining room table just for a few minutes. If he's there any longer than a few minutes, then I know that he's not sleeping. He's reading the paper. If it goes on very long. But he looks and reviews. It's a truth touch. It's a truth touch. We don't want to forget God by Monday at noon. Job 8.13 says, Hope is gone once God is forgotten. And the truth, truth touches we get then from God's word, they build up in our heart. They're they're not just a reservoir for us. They then overflow, and then we teach hope to other people out of what we're learning. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 says, Praise to God, the Father of Jesus, Father of compassion, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can... We can comfort other people with the same comfort we ourselves received from God. That's the plan. And that's the theme verse for our Stephen ministry here at Crossroads. Stephen ministers are trained volunteers who are filled with hope, and they meet with other people one-on-one for as long as you need them when you're going through a tough time, and you could use spiritual guidance, and you could use some truth and support. You could become a Stephen minister. We'll train you to do it. You can teach hope. If you need hope, you can call the church office. Linda would interview you, and she would place you with the perfect person. And that brings me to the next way that we nurture hope. We need these people. I call them kindred spirits. We need kindred spirits. These are people who assure me that I'm not in life alone. These are people who believe what I believe. It's always so encouraging to meet people who value what you value at the core of your being. And we gotta take time to find these people. And also to share our encouragement with them. Every one of us needs someone to share our heart with God. Someone who gets excited about the sunrise. Or if you're a late sleeper, you talk sunsets. Somebody who has hope. Somebody who believes in the God of promises. And somebody who invites us out of our own little world of anxiety and confusion, and doubt. And there are people all around who need you to do that for them. To be a seer of sunsets, to remind them about the gift of God that's in their life, to offer them hope, we need to lovingly challenge each other to see beauty and take the world as a gift. And my family is this for me. They're my kindred spirits. Our church staff Our church council members, I trust with my life. 
our uh, volunteers, those of you that I get to work side by side with leading and teaching hope, every time I think of you, I think of Psalm 16. It says, keep me safe, O God. I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my light. Without you, nothing makes sense. And these God-chosen lives all around, what splendid friends they make. It's good to know who your teachers are. Whom do you trust? You trust God? Good, that's a start. Who else? Who's your lifeline, your spiritual advisor? You need them to cheer you on, to tell you that you're something special and that your contribution matters. Do you have anyone like this in your life? Find a friend whom you can trust and learn from and who calls out greatness in you and start being that for someone else. We need kindred spirits to nurture our hope. And finally, we need a plan. We need inspired plans. And this is part of hope, a part of having hope. Let me give you a couple of examples to get a start on explaining this. A couple of examples of inspired plans. Let's say you're feeling overwhelmed and you realize that it's been two full years without a vacation. You've had some weekend getaways. You had the family funeral in the Midwest, but a road trip on I-80 isn't exactly your idea of a restorative experience. You're not ashamed of not taking these vacations because you stayed back to do some pretty important work. A team was counting on you to lead through a difficult project. They needed you. It's where you needed to be. Grandpa had two surgeries the summer before. You get the reasons. You're not resentful, but the dark cloud is building. It's looming. You know it's not healthy anymore. You don't have much hope. What if? What if you took your next coffee morning moment and you opened up your long-range calendar and you just flipped forward enough pages to where you start to see the white space where things haven't been scheduled yet? And then you just wrote the words, vacay, 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 across that white space. And then you told somebody the plan, this is when we're going and this is where we're going. It brings hope. An inspired plan can give us hope in the darkness. Here's another example. I think that the 12 steps of recovery are the best example I personally know of, of an inspired plan. Seriously, what an anointed plan for life transformation. And to those among us who are the very most hopeful or to all of hopeless or to all of us, when we reach bottom, there is a plan. And it goes like this. Step one, I admit that I am not God and I am powerless to pull myself up from the bottom and I turn my life over to a higher power. And then all the way to step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics everywhere, and we are committed to practice these principles in the everyday affairs of our lives. What a plan. And it's a real plan, isn't it? There's no pie in the sky there. A good plan nurtures hope. 
Psychologist C.R. Snyder is a hope researcher. His book is Psychology of Hope, How to Get from Here to There. And he says that hope is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's actually a cognitive, emotional process that has three parts. It's a process that many of us, if we were lucky, were taught as children. I think I learned this from watching my own mother live her life. Grateful for that. But the three parts he identifies are goal, pathway, and agency. And this is very powerful. You can identify a realistic goal. That means you say, I know where I want to go. I'm addicted here. I want to be free and healthy here. That's where I want to go. And then you can figure out a pathway to get there. It may not be a straight line. It may not be plan A. Plan A is God comes and takes the addiction away. Plan B is the 12 steps, and that's scrappy and messy. But you say, I know I can get there because I'm persistent, and I will keep trying in the face of setback and disappointment. And then agency is something we all need to have. It's a character strength. It is the belief in our ability to stay the path until we've arrived. I know I can do this. Agency says, I have a choice and shall take responsibility for it. It's part of the plan. It gives us hope to have that. It gives us hope to be that way. And a cynic might say that someone who clings to hope is a sucker or unrealistic. That kind of judging usually comes from pain. People who steal your hope are only in despair themselves. As theologian Rob Bell puts it, despair is the belief that tomorrow will be just like today. And that's a devastating way to live. Don't be part of that. As Brené Brown puts it, teach hope instead. Don't just get it and hoard it. Teach it. Well, I can't end a sermon on hope without bringing up Romans chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul is teaching this process of hope to his church 2,000 years ago. Nothing has changed since then on this front. Let's look at this verse. We boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And that endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Read on with me. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I know that if we are to be hope-filled people, We need to notice sunrises and sunsets and point them out to others. And we need to be deeply connected with God. We need to know many, if not most, of God's great promises from Scripture and from the teachers and the models in our life. We need to laugh often and be able to accept reality without cynicism and criticism. We need to accept even life's tragedies without resentment. We need to take some time every day to tune in to God's presence. And we also need to search for people who share our beliefs and to hope with them who hunger for the same things. And this evening, I hope that before you sleep, you would review your day, just one day. Jot down one thing that was a sign of hope for you. 
and keep adding to that list the rest of December as an antidote to December madness, let's keep track of hope. Every day, write down a hopeful sign. And I want to ask us to do something else. I want to ask us uh, to invite people to our Christmas services as a way of spreading hope. Have you noticed the banners in our atrium over our auditorium doors? They say, they say hope is here. And we chose that essence statement years and years ago for the several layers of meaning that it has for us. The first meaning is that Jesus has come to earth. Hope is on the planet. From the manger, to the cross, to the grave, to sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty in risen glory, hope is here. And now this spirit of the living Christ is living in you. And so each of us can say, hope is here. It's Christ in me. Hope is in me. That's the second place that hope is. And then the third thing we can say is that hope is here. It's in the living culture of the Crossroads family. The church is built on hope. An open and accepting place where everyone is welcome and it goes much further than that. There are inspired plans in place for healing and recovery and learning for people of all ages. And we do this week in and week out. But we especially celebrate it at Christmas time. And we create that nest of welcome where the whole community can come in here and be part of it. And I am convinced that among us, we know thousands and thousands of people in northern Colorado who are only one invitation away from finding a church home. But we have to ask them. We can't keep it here. We need to be witnesses. So I hope you go to Facebook and invite everybody in this area. Click invite, invite, invite all your friends. And I hope that you'll spread around these cards, invite people, because what is true, hope is here. It's here. And then wherever you go on any given day, whether that's at a lunch counter in Fort Collins when you're taking a little break from Christmas shopping or it's in your own house when you're washing sheets and making beds and getting ready to welcome, or maybe you're in the military and you are far from home, may it be said of all of us, that hope is here. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I'll pray for all of us. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, you know what the clouds are. You know what the darkness is. You know what the discouragement is in each one of our lives. And I thank you that we are caring people, that we don't just blow these things off. We take them seriously, but they're heavy. And so I pray a blessing on everyone in the room. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>